This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show presented by The Big Lead. My name is Kyle Coster. I'm here with Ryan Phillips, also of TheBigLead.com, a pretty good site if you want to check it out. It's an exciting time in sports, and I think that there's two major stories dominating news. Today we have opening day tomorrow. I know that both of us are very excited about it as baseball guys. Finally, I have a team to root for in the Tigers. You have the Padres who have a championship window, which may be closing. Maybe we want to get into that in the next week when we kind of see what we have out on the field. But the two major things going on are the Los Angeles Lakers and Tiger Woods at the Masters. So let's start with the purple and gold. I know that you're out there on the West Coast. You wrote about them today. They are officially eliminated from the playoffs. Never before has a team been covered so intensely and achieved so little. It's a monumental failure. What's weird about this is we kind of thought it would be a failure, not to this extent, but when we looked at the roster, when it was assembled and realized that they were all between my age and your age, that they were cruising for a bruising. What is your takeaway as we officially bury the Lakers as playoff contenders? I said it the day they made the Russell Westbrook trade, and I, I wrote it on the site. I said, this is not going to work. This will never work. You are spending $44.1 million on a guy who doesn't fit with your other two stars. I don't care what LeBron James wants. I don't care what Anthony Davis wants. Sometimes the adults in the room have to take a step back and look at the basketball aspects of this. What LeBron James and Anthony Davis need around them are guys who can shoot threes and defend. Russell Westbrook does neither. And you're spending a huge chunk of money. He was the equivalent of three other players they traded for him, plus draft picks. I mean, you had Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, Kyle Kuzma, and Montrezl Harrell. Now, regardless of what you think about their effectiveness, they could have been used to go get other players who fit that mold. And instead, you spent all this money getting Russell Westbrook and it was, it was almost like, I think the idea of a big three is antiquated now. I really do, because of how much three-point shooting has become a huge part of the league. I think the idea of just having three amazing guys and a bunch of minimum you know, salary players has become antiquated in the NBA. And the teams that you look at that are the most successful have a bunch of good role players around them. The Milwaukee Bucks are surrounded but you have surrounded Giannis with great role players who do very specific things. Uh, even Philadelphia has, has gone to this, you know, two player uh, with, with Harden and MB. Now we'll see how it works. The Brooklyn Nets got rid of one of their big guys uh, in Ben Simmons to switch it up a little bit. I just think that that mentality is changing in the NBA. And you're really looking at a star with a bunch of guys who can do things. And, and, and the Lakers, you know, I think LeBron and Anthony Davis saw an opportunity. They were like, we can get a third star. That doesn't make you better necessarily if that third star doesn't fit. And so there's se- – I mean, Kyle, there's 17 games under 500. This isn't like they're just barely, you know, limping through it and it's because of injuries or something like that. I mean, Frank Vogel's going to be the fall guy, but he's still the same guy that coached you to a championship two years ago. This is about management, and it's about the guys they brought in and trusted. And frankly, and I wrote it today – People need to get fired up and down that organization for even assuming this was a good idea and letting it happen. Rob Palenka, the GM who's in control of these things, he apparently wanted Buddy Heald. He let himself be influenced into taking Russell Westbrook. At some point, you've got to be an adult 
and say, no, this is not what we're doing because it's going to be bad for basketball. You keep saying being an adult and I understand that. And I, with the sober view, that makes sense. But how are you an adult in the room when your adversary is LeBron James, who wields as much power as anybody in sports? He kind of has been calling the shots from day one. You could argue that, you know, his time, we can get into this later, but his time in Los Angeles has been a success because one championship cures all. Maybe it's been a disappointment, but I feel like we look at the NBA and in the era of player empowerment, which I think that we agree is a good thing. There's a certain time where it might go too far. And that example would be LeBron James. If he has carte blanche to do whatever he wants in terms of roster construction, it's quite possible that he's the second best player to ever play the game, but the 300th best GM to ever construct a team. So I don't know how much you can really blame people for not pushing back against LeBron James because that's what you sign up for when you bring him in. You know your role is going to be reduced. They made a deal with the devil, and maybe they'll be down the road a few years and wonder, hey, this really wasn't worth it. So how reasonable do you think it was for everybody to buck LeBron James and go in a different direction? Well, when you're surrendering the future of your franchise for one player who's not LeBron James, who's Russell Westbrook, who has had his obvious struggles over the last few years. I mean, Russell Westbrook is a guy who puts up counting stats but doesn't actually help teams win. It doesn't make anybody around him better anymore. Um, and he's and and you're proven right if you agree with that because he's having his worst statistical season ever this year. Um, I think that at some point in those situations, you have to put your foot down. Now, you know, if LeBron wants Carmelo Anthony, you know, because they're buddies and he wants to play with them, okay, that makes sense. If he wants to do this, he wants to do that. If you're fundamentally altering the fr- future of your franchise – to bring in a third star who's going to make more than anybody. Yeah. I think it's time to say like, Hey, we can't do this. Like this isn't going to work because that Russell Westbrook contract cripples them next year too. They're going to be even better next year. He's, he's going to get, he makes more next year. He makes 47.1 million next year. Like that's crippling the future of your franchise and crippling future moves. Like think about this. If they just held serve and held those three players, they had, they could have re-signed Alex Caruso, who was a big part of their team offensively and defensively and just, you know, energy off the bench or whatever, they could have potentially, they would have had a draft pick. They could have selected somebody. They would have been able to build for years down the line for when LeBron James is no longer going to be there. I mean, LeBron's contract is only through next year. And so is Russell Westbrook's now. And so you have anchored your team to Russell Westbrook through next season. Because nobody, I mean, I cannot see a scenario where somebody trades for him. And, and, you know, even Anthony Davis has reduced trade value now because of how injured he's been. They're going to have to do something, but the likely outcome is that they enter next season with those three guys and a bunch of, again, minimum salary role players who are looking at the Lakers saying they can't win. So those minimum salary role players who are ring chasing are going to go to the teams that are much better. They're going to try and play with the honest. They're going to try and play in Brooklyn. They're going to try and play in Phoenix. They're going to go or with John Morant in Memphis. They're going to go somewhere. They think they have a chance to win a championship and that's not LA right now. I think you make the most important point when you say that they've kind of set up the franchise for failure in the future by tying that future to Russell Westbrook, because I was ready to come on here and make the argument that yes, it's a disaster. Yes. It's terrible that they missed the playoffs, but I think in the era of the rings with a Z there's no shame in falling short. Like you either win the championship or you don't. So I think that sports fans like you and I maybe have grown up uh, with like seeing the 
levels of success you could attain and being like, okay, we made it a second round, made it to the conference championships. We made it to whatever. I think if you're the Lakers with LeBron James, it's championship or bust. And if you don't win a championship, what does it matter if you miss the playoffs completely or you bowed out in the Western conference? So I was ready to push back and be like, it doesn't really matter. Like a failure is a failure. But one of the things that's not being discussed as much, and I think you did a good job in your piece today talking about why there needs to be some punishment metered out for this is that they're going to be a dumpster fire. And the person who is kind of responsible for pushing the buttons and allowing this to happen is going to go on to bigger and better things somewhere else. Whatever team decides is going to go ahead and reach and take his son in a few years. And it's going to be all hunky dory over there. It's like, he can kind of close that chapter. LeBron do the, the same thing him, in Cleveland. And the thing about him is I love LeBron James. And I think that we're a very pro LeBron James site but he kind of has this gift where he can always win. I think it's the problem that bothers people about him a lot is like he can move on to the next things, close the doors because he's really good at finding new beginnings. He's really good at building things and achieving things, but he's also good at leaving things, a smoking pile of ash for someone else to clean up. It's happened before it happened in Cleveland and they t- have taken years to dig out, not to clear. I mean, who knows what Cleveland's ever going to be like good, you know, but they left a mess behind and, and the Lakers, you know, to go all in for Anthony Davis and to go all in for all this, they have no draft picks over the next, like, you know, I mean, they were like, they were like every other year they have a random draft pick and um, they've given up swaps to the Pelicans. So they're probably going to be taking the Pelicans pick because the Pelicans are on the way up while they're on the way down. I mean, it's, it's a mess. And they did that all for LeBron James and to make the extra concession, like, yeah, we'll go get Russell Westbrook because it makes no sense. I mean, Think about those three guys on a court. It just makes no sense. It doesn't. Russell Westbrook is a lane-clogging ball stopper, who that's great if you have nobody else who needs the ball in their hands. But Anthony Davis and LeBron James, to be successful, have to have the ball in their hands. And Russell Westbrook can't shoot. And, I mean, it's just he doesn't fit modern basketball, the modern NBA. And so, yeah, I just think it's one of those things where at some point you have to push back on this stuff. You have to say, hey – we can't mortgage the next 10 years of draft picks to make you feel like you have a better chance to win. No, we've got to be smart about this. We're going to make targeted moves instead of these big, bold things. And uh, I just think, I, I think that the Washington Wizards suckered them in on that trade and did a great job pulling it off. It's so wild that LeBron James in year 19 with all the information that he has, with all the savvy that he has, has chosen to do this with his career. This is the chapter, and it's going to be one of the last chapters. And we all kind of saw the writing on the wall, and yet there was a defiance with the Lakers that was keep that same energy. We know who's not on the bandwagon right now. All these posts that never work well on social media, I understand it. I'm having a pretty good time with it. And which leads me to one thing. Do you think that the Lakers brand has been tarnished by this season? I mean, for now it has certainly. Uh, I don't think that, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. Um, The Lakers are supposed to be this sort of juggernaut of inevitability that they're at least going to march into the playoffs, especially with LeBron James. I mean, look, when they had all those young guys before James came, you think like, okay, well, they're, they're building, they're building something new, but it's still the Lakers. It's going to take some time. Then they'll get a star and they'll figure it out. You know, it almost felt inevitable then Uh, right now it feels like they look old and slow. And, you know, this is supposed to be the flashy franchise, the, the up-tempo showtime, you know, guys, and they look old and slow and, you know, 
like people always say, and, and this is, you know, living in Southern California, people will say, well, when are the Clippers going to surpass the Lakers? Well, that's never going to happen. But, you know, as far as like a brand, but, and they, they've been saying that since Chris Paul and uh, Blake Griffin were on, were on the Clippers. Oh, when's that going to happen? The Lakers are, they're, the Lakers are never going to be second fiddle to the Clippers, but you know, you're watching the Clippers as a franchise and, and they've had a terrible year too you're watching them be more consistent year in, year out than the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers have had LeBron James for four seasons now. They missed the playoffs twice and got eliminated in the first round last year. Yeah, they won a championship, and that was great. And it was a – you know, if you watch that basketball, it was really good basketball. I know it was in the bubble, but it was fantastic basketball, and they they wound up beating Miami in the championship. But the other three years have been a complete disaster. And – you know, last year, you can make an argument if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt, they might beat Phoenix. They look like they were dominating him in that series before Anthony Davis got hurt. But at the same time, they didn't do that. And so it's a results-oriented business. And right now, the Lakers do look incredibly bad. And Jeannie Buss, you know, you've got her letting Kurt Rambis make all these decisions where nobody nobody is picking Kurt Rambis to run your franchise. He's making all these high-level decisions. And it just feels like, you know – a poorly run family business right now it really does and you're just sort of letting whatever happen and and not making well thought out moves and that's been happening for years and they were able to get a championship out of 2020 but other than that this has looked like a really poorly run franchise for a long time that got lucky to get lebron because he wanted to move to la and gave away the farm for anthony davis who's been an injured player for most of his time at, at, at in la and, and yeah, it's just, it looks poorly run right now. Like, and, and that was the thing about the Lakers under Jerry Buss. No matter what, they were well run. They made mistakes, but they were well run, and you had, a, you had good people in charge. It does not feel that way. It does kind of feel like the dying of the empire. You could really make the case, though, that it was worth it to get one last shebang because they could have gone out quietly and sort of out of relevance. So I think it was Neil Young who said, better to burn out than fade away. And he's a smart man, that Neil Young. He is a Billy Zane. Man. He's a cool guy. Second biggest story, Tiger Woods. Maybe the, the bigger story is Tiger Woods at the Masters, and the five-time Green Jacket winner is there. He is practicing. The excitement about him returning to golf after over a year off after a devastating car accident, which, by the way, hey, whatever happened there? Are we ever getting the answers? I don't know. That would be nice to know. Uh, some of us are still kind of waiting to see whether we should feel slimy about rooting for him. But anyway, he's there, and it's a big love fest, and everybody's excited about it. And I want to get your temperature on your expectations for him because you look, and he has these odds where right now he's 40-1 to 1 to win the tournament. Unreasonable. He's not going to win the tournament. I hope I'm wrong. Right now, the odds, you can get him at negative 130 to miss the cut. And with such lingering health questions, there was a video this morning showing him limping. What are your reasonable expectations for Tiger? And what do you want to happen? The reasonable expectations is for him to get through two rounds. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's you know, just, just to make it through two rounds is, is what you have to expect. I expect him to take it easy. I expect him to just kind of cruise a little bit. Uh, what I would like to see happen is see him make the cut. I, I, you know, I have no illusion that he's going to win the tournament. It's just not going to happen. I mean, looking at the way he's walking around out there, he's, he's not going to do it. But making the cut and playing through the weekend, I think that's his green jacket this time around, is just to survive. But I, I, I just think that, you know, and if he's going to do it somewhere, 
it's going to be here. And this is, this is his home. It feels like his home course. I know it's not, but you know, you look at his results over the years when he didn't win, it's tied for eighth, tied for fifth, uh, third, second, sixth, fourth, 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 you know, I mean, like he's always competitive. He knows that course as well as anybody. And uh, his last time in 2020, he was tied for 38th, um, which still make it to the weekend. That's all you got to do here with your tiger. And I think that's the goal. Um, I think this is the place where he's most comfortable uh, playing and a place that intimidates other people that clearly doesn't intimidate him. So if he can just stay calm and, and get through the weekend, I think that is a massive, massive win. And it'll be a bigger story, I think, than whoever wins it. Um, unless it's some crazy finish, I really think it'll be the biggest, biggest story. Yeah, you wonder what his motivations are. I mean, the fellow golfer's been saying he's been looking great, and they say he wouldn't come back if he didn't think he had a chance to win. I don't really buy that. I think no. you come back to make a statement about people are just recovery. saying things. That, right. I kind yeah. of agree that we're at that stage where people are just saying things and trying to get the hype machine up. And what are you going to say? The opposite. I think this is the place where he's the most comfortable. This is the place where he has the most knowledge of the course. So it should allow him to play better against his physical limitations. And he's going to be welcomed here as a hero. I mean, he's going to be welcomed with open arms. We've seen the throngs of people following him, the gallery following him around and these practice rounds, it looks like a Sunday at Augusta. It's really, it's absolute scenes as the Brits would say, and people who want to be Brits would say, I think that this is just showing up and playing golf and proving to himself and proving to everybody else that he could get back from this is his motivation. I don't think he's the, he's singularly competitive. So it's like, yeah, maybe he thinks he can win if he lightning strikes and he puts four rounds together and he should think that because look what happened in 2019, a win that still, as time passes, becomes even more shocking and mind-blowing that it happened. But I think that yeah, him, him doing that and, and Phil Mickelson winning the PGA are both just things where you're like, how did that happen? Like, it's it's impossible, it feels like. And both of them were able to pull those wins off. And he, to this day, I mean, they get more impressive as it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if he, if he if he lightning strikes and he's in contention on Saturday, it's going to be the biggest sporting event since 2019 when he won. Uh, and I also think that it's going to be an indication that maybe he'll never be the golfer that he was before. But this is like a sheer will combined with talent, combined with one of a kind work ethic. I think he just wants to put something on the board. I think if he starts playing golf tomorrow, he's not going to quit no matter how much it hurts. I don't see it. I don't see a withdrawal coming because he's going to power through. He took all this time off. I don't think he has any plans. Maybe his next plan is to play the next major, but it's not like he has any illusions of getting out there in two or three weeks again. This is kind of like a one-time thing. I expect him to play if healthy enough, the majors every year going forward, maybe a few extra tournaments, but he's not going to be a week to week person. What do you think it is about Tiger Woods at this point of his career that makes him the most interesting or the second most interesting athlete we have out there. I will start by saying, I think it's these moments right here where it's the possibilities. The 2019 thing at the masters where he blew all of our minds. We couldn't believe that it happened. And this feeling right now, 24 hours away from him stepping up to that first tee where it feels like anything can happen. That's kind of like the most pure form of sports and on that level where we all understand the myriad storylines, the not knowing whether things are going to go awfully or it's going to be a sporting event 
to go down in the history books as one of the greatest and most memorable ever. There's that excitement and there's that unknown entity about him because ever since his accident, ever since his scandal, it's kind of been a situation where what's Tiger right now? What can we expect from Tiger? And any time he turns the clock back and gives us a glimpse back into that past, it feels as new and possibly more exciting than it was the first time because that vibe and that feeling is just so magical and we yearn for it and we can't believe we're getting another dose for it. That's kind of my feeling that makes Tiger unique because I can't think of another athlete out there that brings that to the table. Well, with Tiger Woods, there's always possibility. That's, that's what it is. There's, it always feels like there's possibility, even if it's completely remote. And the fact that he went 11 years without winning a major and then won one in front of his, you know, in front of his kids. And, you know, like, I mean, that moment was unbelievable. And, and it, it gives you this belief that, well, maybe it's still there. And this guy does impossible things. Maybe this is another. He's one of those rare athletes who does impossible things. You know, Michael Jordan coming back from, from baseball and immediately being a really effective basketball player after years off. You know, I mean, they're just certain guys who can do what feels impossible. Tiger Woods at 46 on a bad leg. Could he win the Masters? I mean, if you, if after this, if on Monday we're back on this talking, it's like, well, yeah, of course that was going to happen. You know, it's Tiger Woods. But, you know, it, it, the thing is, in the moment here, it feels like that's impossible. It's unbelievable. But there's that little glimmer in the back of your mind of he's the best to ever do it. And he's done the impossible before. I mean, he won, he won the U.S. Open in 2008 on one leg. And he, he'd done this before essentially one in the playoff and I was at Torrey Pines right down the road and I remember the excitement about that was unbelievable that's an 18 hole playoff too that's not one hole playoff and 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 you're absolutely right it's a great point is it he 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 went and had massive surgery after that tournament no he went in knowing he had to do it you know um so yeah it's there's always something with Tiger where you're kind of like, well, and eventually that'll fade over time. That'll eventually fade. And I, quite frankly, in those 11 years, it began to fade, uh, it, you know, without a major, it really began to fade. There were times where I thought he'd never play again. Um, certainly after this accident, I thought he'd never play. I thought he'd maybe bump up to the senior tour and have some fun and duff around a little, but I did not think he would be back, especially as soon as he is. Um, I thought maybe he'd do the thing where he's the old retired guy and plays the masters every once in a while. But the fact that he's come back and, you know, you hear people talking about, you know, he, he wants to, he thinks he can win if he's playing. Uh, yeah. There's a part of me that's kind of like, whether I like, whether you like Tiger Woods or not, there's a part of you wants to see it, you know, wants to see what he can do. Um, and, and honestly, here's, here's the, the honest thing. I just hope he gets through it healthy and he doesn't have to go away for six months again to get a surgery or, you know, something. I mean, that would be the worst outcome. Uh, just to see him get out there on the course and play around. I mean, it, it, and that's the thing about Tiger, it, you know, regardless of what you think about him, a lot of us have watched the documentaries and watched the behind the scenes stuff and all that. Uh, there is some magic to him and there always will be. And there's just something about him that makes golf more interesting, makes sports more interesting when he's around. And uh, it's, it's been, it's been hard not having him I mean, we love the Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka stuff, but that can only sustain you so long. Tiger is the guy, and he needs to be around for the health of that sport. He's the most inhuman person that has had his humanity on full display. I think I wrote Absolutely. when he won. I think was my takeaway. It was like we saw this God become a man and be humbled and then to reach that status again. 
and our feelings about him should be complicated. I mean, you know, I think it's kind of enough years have passed where people aren't grappling with that and, and people can feel the way that they want, but he does have a complicated legacy. There is a complicated history with him. He does challenge us, but when he is playing on that golf course, you can't help but root for him. You can't help but want to feel that magic seep in and have it last as long as it possibly can. I can't wait to watch it. I hope we're back here next week and we're talking about the greatest thing that we've ever seen. Uh, the most wonderful comeback ever. I like Tiger's future a lot better than I like the Lakers future. That's how That's disaster it is in Los Angeles. Appreciate you joining me. Keep checking out the big lead. Ryan, we'll <laughs> see you tomorrow. <laughs>